Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 35 of Ask the CEO with Avraham Gatil. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. He's the founder and CEO of SimpleWan, a globally recognized defense system for businesses. He is a foremost expert in the field of cybersecurity, having over 20 years of experience in securing businesses from cyber hacks and identity theft. Prior to starting SimpleWan, he founded Comvoice, an early-to-market hosted VoIP company, as well as an IT company. He is a strong believer in giving back to the community, having contributed to organizations such as St. Joseph Hospitals, Toys for Tots, Make-A-Wish Foundation, and many more. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome the one and only Eric Knight. Welcome, Eric. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, Whereabouts are you calling in from? So uh, we're in Phoenix. So it's still beautiful for the moment. <laughs> nice, nice. We're finally getting some nice weather here as well. Give it like a day or two, and it'll be 115, and I'll, it'll be a completely different tune. <laughs> yes, I remember I was once in Phoenix in June, and it was about 115. It was, it was an interesting experience. It was like walking into an oven. It's like walking into an oven, and every, everybody says, oh, it's a dry heat. It's, and it's like, dry. no, no, it's awful. <laughs> yeah, really cool. So, Eric, um, you know, this is such perfect timing for our our discussion because, you know, there's all these viruses running rampant, especially with the I Want to Cry virus that's got everybody uh, on the edge of their seat. Tell us a little bit about SimpleWAN and, and uh, what does it do? So, SimpleWAN is an edge device which is basically controlled by the cloud and makes it easy to manage. Um, I mean, everybody's heard of the term firewalls and routers. They've been around since the beginning of internet. And we're seeing a transition right now where software defined everything. So SD-WAN, SD-LAN, you know, SD, anything you can think of is becoming the, the prevalent thing where people are changing out physical devices for something controlled in the cloud. And we're just another aspect of that where those traditional devices that people have bought for the last 20 or 30 years are now cloud controlled and they come with a bunch of cool tools and you know cybersecurity is a big piece of that same thing with compliance and stuff like that so you know security is a, a huge huge area but there's there's many key components in, in a lot of different things you've got to be doing we're just that network piece of that but talking about WannaCry and things like that you know there's other pieces there's your application side there's your web server side there's there's so many things that that are need to be addressed in so many ways and we're just another chip of that that piece and you know hopefully we continue to continue to do a great job on our part but there's so many other parts there that the security piece that everybody really needs to be thinking about right now as well absolutely and you know talking about SD-WAN technology so you know, we, we're, our, our company is a cloud communications provider, so we're obviously replacing the communications hardware, replacing it with a cloud-based service. So with regards to software-defined WAN, how do you take the WAN out of the hardware? Well, and see, that's really where it's going. We like to say software-defined everything because it's really everything at this point. Um, traditionally, people would have you know, a router to do this, you'd have a firewall to do this, you'd have a compliance server to, to do another feature, you'd have a, uh, you know, a managed Wi-Fi device or a controller to manage that and a server to do this. And what that's, what's changing with software defined is we're basically scooping that stuff up from the local network and throwing it in the cloud. And then those modules and those pieces actually live in the, the cloud now. 
instead of on site. So instead of, you know, 50 different pieces of hardware, or in most cases, you know, four or five, it's now one physical piece of hardware and it's slinging all those, those modules to the cloud and whatever the next thing that comes out, which we don't know what it'll be yet. You know, we just put it up in the cloud and boom, it's there. There's no more rip and replace hardware. And I think you've experienced and a lot of people experience, Oh, well, Hey, it's been three years. I need to go replace every piece of hardware in my business and try to write that off. And, and, you know, for a lot of businesses, especially our core, which are multi-location, they're hundreds, if not thousands of location customers, it takes years to rip and replace all that equipment. And it's, it's very costly. You have to roll a truck. You have to have people out there. You have to have downtime. And the new world, that's quote-unquote software defined, instead of doing that at year three, hey, guess what? Compliance or PCI compliance changed. It's just a module in the cloud that got updated instead of a, a rip and replace some kind of physical solution. And that is why software defined is going to really prevail over the next several years. Gotcha. So in the case of some kind of a virus, uh, so let's say there is a brand router that would be uh, susceptible to some kind of a virus. Now, there's nothing really to patch. The patch happens in the cloud and the service provider does that for you automatically. Absolutely. And that's actually been a big problem. And, you know, I hate to name names of big organizations, but they're out there running, you know, the equipment that has been around, you know, trusted brands for years and what happens is, is, you know, something will be detected, you know, uh, there was one, you know, a year, less than a year ago, um, major manufacturer, router manufacturer, they said, oops, hey, somebody leaked out this information on Twitter, everybody needs to patch their stuff. And so a couple weeks pass and they put out a patch and, oh, well, guess what, if that hardware is end of life, you can't get it. Oh, if you're not paying for the service contract, you can't get it. And even if you're doing all the right stuff, well, then you have to pay an IT person to go through, take the business down, do the upgrade remotely, or in some cases on site, patch it, and then you're off to the races until it happens again. And we think we saw last year SSL, which is the, the backbone of all encryption for the most part on websites on the internet. There was three or four uh, vulnerabilities detected last year. And every single time, every device or a piece of equipment, software, website, that is running SSL had to get patched. And, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but the resources to do the patching in that scenario I just talked about, I think it's 70% of the devices, and again, this happened last year, have still not been patched because people don't want to take their stuff down and, you know, they don't want to go through it. It's just like your, your computer when it pops up and says, hey, do you want to do an update now? And it's never a good time. Well, that's what's happening in your networking equipment, right? It's like, do it tomorrow. And everybody has that attitude in the security, in the networking equipment. And unfortunately, you know, we're looking at something like 70, 80% of the firewalls and routers out there that are running vulnerable equipment. And it's just not a good time to patch that software or for one reason or another, software defined everything just keeps it live. It just patches little things in the cloud and it doesn't take the, the site down and require a person to do it. And that's why the big change is happening. Yeah, so if this were to translate into our PC nomenclature, so that would be equivalent to doing the Windows update, having it done for you so that you don't have to take your servers down. Right, and they're supposed to do that, but everybody is like, nobody wants to do that, you know? So uh, I can't tell you the number of people that uh, we've talked to in the last couple of weeks. They're like, oh yeah, we're running Windows XP. 
You know, and it's still out there. I think I saw a stat three days ago that said the number three operating system being run in the world right now is Windows XP, more so than, uh, than, than Mac OS. Mac OS, I think, was five. So it, it tells you people are not eager to, to rip and replace or do patching. So we've got we've to automate these kind of things because it's painful to do it by hand. You know, yesterday I was talking to uh, the owner of an IT company, and he was saying how you find it interesting that the big companies are more vulnerable to these viruses than smaller companies because they have all this tough security policies, and to get an upgrade to take place, it takes an act of God. Yes, it does. And what's worse and what's making it worse is bring your own device. Uh, you know, especially a lot of these large enterprise companies are finding a way to do it. And then these people leave these organizations and join a smaller organization. When I see I mean, smaller organization, you know, a couple hundred employees, they're like, well, wait a minute, over at this big company, I got to bring my own device. We're going to do it here. And unfortunately, those mid-market companies don't have the infrastructure and they just think, oh, well, this massive enterprise did it. So we'll just allow it here. And it becomes a massive nightmare. <laughs> Yes, I could imagine. Uh, now, in terms of the types of uh, customers that y you've uh, worked with, what are some of the solutions that you provided for them in this respect? So the biggest thing, so our core client is really what we say is if you walk into the business to do business with them, if it's a restaurant, if it's a, you know, an oil change place, if it's a retail store, and they have signs, you know, basically businesses all over the place, that's our core client. And they've got, you know, anywhere from two to 50 employees per location. And the biggest concern with those type of businesses right now, believe it or not, is really PCI compliance. Um, they're worried that if their brand, um, you know, if, if the, the franchise down the street is ends up on the news being hacked or having a credit card fraud, it's not the franchise down the street, it's the entire brand. And so people stop trusting that brand. So the biggest thing at this point is, is PCI compliance. People, you know, especially these remote branches, franchises, locations, they have little control over it and corporate stuff, you know, they're worried about their brand reputation. And that is really the, the worry part. It can destroy an entire brand because one little shop in the middle of nowhere had a problem. And uh, I, I think these, these type of, we call them enterprises, are really starting to worry about that. Gotcha. So we're talking about our little insurance broker, our little our gas station, our uh, restaurant down the block that's part of a global franchise, Starbucks. Yes. Yeah, no, it just takes one to ruin the entire brand for everybody. And uh, up until recently, a lot of those companies, you know, have had a very free IT policy. They're just like, hey, go to Best Buy and buy something off the shelf and get yourself up. And that's great to get going, but uh, unfortunately, those things are unmaintenanced and, you know, they're not kept up. And I think that these organizations are really starting to wise up and say, hey, we need to take a little bit more control and oversight, especially when it comes to compliance. And so we're seeing a rapid change. And unfortunately, uh, you know, that means pretty high expense for a lot of these businesses um, that they weren't, you know, using before. We actually predict that the biggest expense to launching a franchise or even a small business in the next 10 years will be the IT infrastructure because of the amount of compliance and requirements that'll be coming out. Gotcha. And now the SD-WAN technology, um, so does that reduce costs in that respect or is that an added cost that they need to now invest in? 
Well, it's, it's certainly an added cost, but it's an offset from something else. And really what the SD-WAN technology is coming up and rapidly coming up is people want fast internet connections. And MPLS, which is the traditional technology that's connected multiple location businesses together, um, it's expensive. It's really expensive. It's slow. And when you've got people that are used to, you know, Comcast and 100 meg or even Google Fiber, which is now gigabit, in their home, they go to their office and they're like, well, we, what do you mean we only have three megabytes? You know, I, I like my YouTube. I like my Facebook. And then employers are like, well, you're slowing down the network and you're causing voice issues. And, you know, fast forward to where we're at from a few years ago, a few years ago, nothing ran over the Internet. It was a luxury. Today, phones run over the Internet. Credit cards run over the internet. Order processing runs over the internet. The CRMs are all cloud-based. Everything is over the internet, and they're 100% dependent on that. So, you know, reliability, you know, when you can go get two commodity broadbands and, and bind them together, and they have a higher SLA and availability than your traditional MPLS broadband, it's faster, it's cheaper, it's kind of the no-brainer direction, and it gives a little bit of security especially when you start mixing in things like 4G wireless and things like that, which have come a long way. Yeah, definitely. Now, I'm sure you've got the attention of many people right now. So for those that may be considering going with uh, SD-WAN technology, but they may have a challenge just wrapping their heads around it. Can you give us a little bit of an education? So let's take an example. We have five offices that are connected with MPLS. Where would SD-WAN come in and, and how would SD-WAN take over uh, their infrastructure? Well, and so a perfect example is, is an average company like that would have like a three to five meg, what they call like e Ethernet over copper service to the MPLS. Some of them, believe it or not, still have T1s um, that are connecting those, those um, locations together. And to give you an idea, T1s are like 1.5 megs, Ethernet over copper, you can get between, you know, three and 60 or three and like 30 megs somewhere in there. Uh, but that's still slow when you can go to Comcast or Cox and order a circuit for, you know, the office at a hundred megs and it's $300 a month. That same ethernet over copper circuit with MPLS on it is running $700 a month. So you've got a business owner or organization that's that are like, well, wait a minute, it's 10 times as fast and it's a third of the price. And, I can bring in the CenturyLink connection as well. And between the two of them, the likeliness that either medium are going to be out at the same time, they have a higher availability than that one provider connection. It's kind of one of those things like a no-brainer. They're, they're thinking, well, wait a minute, I can dump this really expensive service that I've been paying for for the last five years. It's going to be faster. It's going to be cheaper. And it's going to have higher reliability, even with the SD-WAN component. You know, the first question we get is, well, what am I missing here? This this seems too good to be true. And the reality is, is it just things have shifted that that quickly. Um, for those that have been around, you got to think, hey, before MPLS, there was Frame Relay. And, you know, when MPLS came out, it was the best thing since sliced bread. And that's kind of what we're looking at here, except it's a it's a huge factor change. You know, we're talking, again, 10 times cheaper, 10 times faster, 10 times more reliable it's just it's just a progression in time, and I'm sure in five to ten years we're going to see another thing that's going to look like that. But right now, that is why there's so much buzz around SD SD WAN. Now, are large enterprises embracing SD WAN as well, or is it just mid-sized companies? 
So, no, I think I think it's a mid-market thing. Uh, I think that it will come for large enterprises. It's going to come down to their 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 WAN infrastructure. There's actually a lot of uh, government entities, counties, and things like that that are looking at it as well. But when you start looking at the enterprise level, a lot of them are paying for dedicated fiber between locations, so it's hard for them to justify that spend and that shift to SD-WAN. So most of it is really leveraging commodity broadband. This is very similar to the cloud communications industry. It's the same shift. I mean, you know, you'd mentioned early on, you know, I, I was uh, very early to hosted VoIP. I think we launched a hosted VoIP company in 2004 and the term hosted VoIP didn't exist. When we tried to explain to people, well, no, you don't buy phone lines anymore. You, you just pay per seat and there's no maintenance or no box on the wall. It took a lot of time for people to wrap their mind around it. And now look today, it is the standard. Yeah. Uh, because people don't want to deal with components and, and this will be the standard and we'll all be sitting around a table in you know, five years joking about, hey, remember when you used to sell MPLS? That's crazy, right? And you know, it's, it's just the progression of technology and, and things are getting cheaper and this is an enabler to be able to go out and buy those cheaper, faster services. Yeah, so true, so true. I come across this all the time when talking to people about cloud communications and I tell them, you know, you know how in the olden days, and I call it the olden days, you used to buy this yeah. PBX, you buy this cabinet, you put on the wall. Well, you don't do that anymore. You just buy your phone, you plug it in, and it works. Well, and I joke with people because I was in that business. And, uh, you know, the average small business, so they had about 7 to 15 employees, would pay us $3,000 a year to do moves, ads, and changes on that type of PBX. And that just doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, it, it's just it's all rolled into the hosted side and it's just changed so drastically. Yeah. I noticed that. I noticed that in my business, um, that was, that was a good gig and it was around for a long time and it pretty much completely disappeared. Now hosted is the standard or cloud-based as we call it. Well, and the best part was is people didn't realize they were spending on that. When you approach them on the cloud base from somebody who came from a premise-based PBX, you'd be like, Hey, take a look at all the maintenance bills for the last year. I, I bet you spend at least three to $5,000 a year and they say, no way. And they pull the bills and sure enough. And so that mentality, people finally realized what was going on there. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. So Eric, how did you get started with this? Well, so, you know, again, came from the technology world and uh, we had a, a need in the hosted VoIP because I said we were very early to it. Um, I can tell you the first client that we installed in 2004, 2005, um, with the hosted VoIP side, it literally, I, I can remember the client, we were in an apartment complex and there was 15 Cox communication trucks there trying to figure out what was wrong with the connection along with us in a meeting room and nobody could figure it out and nobody could see the packet loss because it wasn't, you know, it, it looked fine on TCP or ICP connections and Cox would be like, oh no, no, it's good. Look, we didn't have the tools to be able to show the VoIP packet loss or the UDP packet loss or even prioritize the traffic in and out of the network. So we came up with a standalone box very early to help us do those kind of things. And through the course of time, it really evolved into a tool set. And we got to the point to where we would not sell a client without it. Um, and then fast forward to 2014, we did sell the hosted web company off. And at that point, we split and, uh, and turned it into a cloud-based product because we saw that's where it was going. And uh, so it's just been kind of our secret sauce that's evolved over time. And now it's, you know, compliance, cybersecurity, managed Wi-Fi, 
just an entire toolkit. We call it the Swiss Army Knife, all in one, um, because sure, you can go out and get 15 different products to give you the answers. And you can Google, you know, I want to look this up, I want to look that up, and spend all your time doing it. But, you know, just like me as an IT person, I've got better things to do. I want to see my family. I want to, you know, I want to go have, you know, turn off my phone every once in a while. And as an IT person, that's really tough. And if you can solve an issue because we saved two minutes here and two minutes here and two minutes there, that, that saves a lot of time over the course of hundreds of customers and you can go do something better. And that was really the object and goal here. And it still is, is, is to simplify and automate things to such a point to where IT people can go do something that, that they really want to go do instead of playing around with their network and, and, you know, knowing everything about everything, you know, and tinkering all day long just to get somebody working. The idea is it's up, it's working. And when it doesn't, you can go back in time and figure out what's wrong and how to fix it and be able to show to the end client, hey, green is good, red is bad, here's what's going on, let's, let's be done and, you know, get the ISP fixing this and, and all move on because, you know, truck rollings are awful. Uh, we, we rolled a fleet of, fleet of trucks at the phone company and it was like rolling death traps. I, you know, there was one totaled every year. So to avoid that, that was huge. And then also, again, the finger pointing and everything else, it had to, it had to happen. And that's really how we got here. So, you know, I love what you say about, about the interface. So, so tell me a little bit more about that, the simplified uh, interface. Well, and that's it is, you know, you, it had to look different, it had to be simple. And like, I, I like to compare it to um, exchange is really what it is. If you go back five or 10 years, everybody, you know, had an exchange server on site and, you know, didn't matter how, how small you were, how big you were, you had a server there that handled email. You had to have an active directory expert. You had to have a, a server expert. You have had a, a windows server expert just to run email. And now you look at today, office 365 is amazing. So is Gmail and the average office administrator can be an expert and run it. Um, we wanted to do that with this to where the average it person, can support 20 different applications and the network and be intelligent about doing it. So it's simple. Again, we wanted to make a CEO understand what it was doing. Green is good, red is bad. <laughs> and an average IT person be like, hey, this is what's going on and steer them to do things correctly. So the Cisco products of the world, you're expected to be an expert. And if you enabled A plus B plus C and it doesn't work and you're like, well, what's going on? Oops, you fried it. You know, you, you, you completely nuked it and you have to go drive out to the car to fix it. You're supposed to know better. Our product is designed to where, you know, it's not going to let you turn on A and C if they're not compatible. You know, it, this is 2017. You'd if you've think, got two different right? protocols, right, th that are not compatible, it should not let you do it. But Cisco will let you do it every day long because, hey, you're an expert. You should know. And so controlling those interactions, same thing with compliance, making sure people don't do stupid things protecting everybody from themselves and then you know audit logs and just every single thing is about saving a minute here and a minute there and making sure somebody doesn't do something stupid and again you've got VoIP people on the network you've got IT people on the network you've got end users on the network and it's important that they're all tracked and you know and everybody knows what's going on and everybody has that simple steering interface that was our whole goal here. And, you know, I, I love this reoccurring theme that you keep talking about saving people time because, you know, today everybody wears busyness as a badge, as a badge of honor. And, right. you know, you can be busy doing productive things or you can be busy just being busy. 
And it's so wonderful that you've created a product to actually help people um, be in control of their schedule and their time. I've had too many days living in data centers in the middle of the night, and I've had too many days where, you know, there's something I absolutely have to be at or do, and I've got a call because, hey, something's not working, or we're fighting with a provider, and they don't know who else to call but the network and the, and the phone support person. And it has nothing to do with, you know, what we're doing. Or You have to prove it. You have to be able to quickly, if, if that call goes from a three-hour phone call down to a 10-minute, hey, here's what's going on call, I can go back to doing what I had planned during that time period. It's not, it's not a waste. And that, that is just the key here is, again, everybody has something more important to do. They don't want to sit around and do updates in the middle of the night. They don't want to sit around and, and be like, oh, hmm, how can we do this and do that? It should just be click, click, boom, and it's, it's done, and you're, and you're moving on. And uh, just IT as a whole, there's so much to do between cloud services and servers and, and everything else. Desktop management, they shouldn't have to worry about their network. Yeah, totally. I, I love that. I love that story. So, so Eric, you know, at, you know, as an entrepreneur, you've, you've uh, built several businesses and, and uh, you sound really passionate about what you're doing. How did you get started on your journey of building that first business? A little insanity. Uh, so uh, my, uh, it's actually kind of funny. I just, uh, you know, I had an IT company that I had started and I actually, uh, you know, talk about old school. I came up in the dial-up world. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I worked as a system administrator at a, at a local, uh, dial up company. And, uh, one day I said, you know, Hey, we can do this IT thing and we, you know, through some automation and have a flat monthly fee to manage a server and a desktop. And, uh, we picked up a couple clients and two weeks before my oldest daughter was born, I quit, I quit my job to go do that. And I kept telling my wife, you better hurry up. The insurance runs out in 30 days. You got to figure it out. 30 days. And so we had two week buffer there, but uh, it was just a little bit of insanity. I was ready to do it. And uh, I had a conversation with somebody today. You've got to jump. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't have a job and, and do it. You'll never, you'll never do that jump. You've got to have, there's nothing like a fear to, to motivate you to have nothing else to fall back on. And that's the key focus on one thing and, and jump. <laughs> So you beat me by two weeks. Uh, I actually started my business the day my my wife gave birth. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so you 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 had the same thing. There's nothing more scary than that, right? In fact, uh, so I was contemplating leaving my job at the time, and and uh, I had I I I took some time for vacation, and that's when, of course, my. Uh, my wife gave birth. During that vacation, I was going to go meet with uh, some prospective customers. So my wife gives birth, and I'm about an hour from the meeting. I tell my wife, you know what? Well, I'll, I'll cancel the meeting. She goes, why are you doing that? So I said, well, you know, you need me, right? And she goes, no, I want, I want to sleep. I just gave birth. <laughs> so I said, you understand that if I go to this meeting and it looks good, I'm going to be quitting my job. And I, you know, I know we just had a baby and insurance and all that. And she goes, yeah, go ahead, do it. I know you'll make it work. There's no better motivator. And look, it worked out. Yeah, exactly. So, wow. I love that story. So talking, yeah, that's good to hear. <laughs> talking about motivators, what keeps you motivated every day? You know, it's funny, you know, I, I love the, we have, you know, 
we have a lot of clients in that space, but the UCAS and, and the cloud communication space. But and you talk about security and networks and things like that, it's just like the recent, uh, you know, last week's malware, you know, just buzz is you wake up and everything's new. I mean, there is not a dull moment. There is there is so much going on under the scenes that most people don't know about and don't see. Um, it's it's a new business almost every single day. And we can focus on it and that specialty of knowing, hey, this is what's going on in the networking world, especially as far as the security aspect. And again, it's new and exciting every day. And it's good to be an expert in that that space and not have to, you know, oh, well, this is happening in UCAS and this is happening in the web server world and this is happening this, that focus and just seeing really how quickly things are changing in the world. Yeah. And, you know, nowadays, many of the experts are saying how you can't be a generalist anymore. You have to be focused and an expert in one thing. And people are looking for experts nowadays. Well, and in the space that we talk about, the problem is, is, you know, why we've been so successful is businesses are not hiring network engineers anymore. The only people that hire network engineers are carriers. A lot of the businesses in, in you know, the chain, the, the uh, franchise space, they are hiring generalists to then go out and manage software or hire consultants in those spaces to help them. But at the end of the day, the generalists are running, you know, this is who we need to hire for this. This is who we need to, to bring in for this expert. And they've got to be empowered enough to be able to know who to bring in. And that's the key right now. Mm, gotcha. So, so Eric, as you were building this business, what were some of the ups and downs along the way? Well, so five minutes ago, <laughs> um, I think that's, that's any entrepreneur in any, any it's business. It's a typical it's day. A, it's a typical day. I, I saw a meme a few months ago where it says the life of a, entrepreneur or a business or startup and it's like hey things are great things are awful things are absolutely phenomenal oh i'm going out of business oh things are this is the best day of the you know it's it's just it it is what it is um big companies don't do these things you know you look at your cisco's of the world your microsoft's of the world your google's of the world most of them don't try to do startup ventures because the risk is just too high and the culture doesn't fit so i love the startup culture I love, you know, the teams that we roll together to be able to do things that these big enterprises just can't do. And that's what, what's exciting is you look at that and be like, oh, well, we did that in three days. Why is it taking him three years to come up with that? And, and, you know, it's just exciting to be able to play in that space. Isn't that funny that you don't have all that red tape uh, and you can actually get stuff done? Yeah, no, that's, that's really what it comes down to is, is, companies get to a certain size and their culture prevents them from innovating. Yeah. And it's kind of counterproductive. And, you know, that's how, that's how Google got formed because they, they were just a couple of guys get together and they innovated and now they're this big monster. I love watching technology history. And, you know, that was before them, it was Microsoft before them. It was Hewlett Packard before them. There was always one that, you know, before them, it was IBM. There's always one. And, you know, these companies that are our big companies that do everything today started out in a room because, uh, you know, some big enterprise at the time wasn't doing it, doing good enough. <laughs> That's right. And being entrepreneurs, we're here to solve problems. And, and that's really it. And even the focus with this is, 
everything that we have in our dashboard, everything in our business model is because as you know, our whole entire staff were IT people at some point. We ran into it in the field and the people sitting over at Microsoft or Google or even you know Cisco, they've never had a customer breathing down their back yelling at them, you've got to do this and this has got to happen and this is what's going on and I'm sitting in a room with a little closet with an air conditioner breathing on me. They've never experienced that. So everything we do is, you know, especially for our customers, is trying to make that easier because that's a horrible experience. Absolutely. Yes, I've been there. Yeah, exactly. We all have. Yeah. So, so talking about that meme, because I saw that as well, of the Entrepreneur's Day, right? So, you know, there's this uh, statistic that uh, most small businesses during the first year will fail. Um, where, where do you think entrepreneurs go wrong with that? Uh, you know, a lot of them do come from these enterprise companies, and I, I see it all. I see it a lot. You'll see somebody come away from a big, you know, an Intel or um, you know, a big conglomerate, and they'll try to run their business the exact same way that the uh, that those companies do. And unfortunately, it takes scrappy people that are willing to, you know, work 90 hours a week and you know, be able to say, hey, why can't we do that? And uh, the most structured people, the most educated people that have come from those big companies, they, they, you know, the first thing they can think of is, okay, I'm going to start this business. I need all these things in my office to make it look right. The firm needs to be here and this has to be here. We've got to do all of this stuff before we think about a customer. And unfortunately, that's just not the way the startup works. I mean, if you've got a, a desk that's a piece of plywood on top of a trash can, it's good enough in the startup world to get going, get that first customer. Yeah, you know how you see all these Instagram businesses with the fancy cars and, and the expensive watches, and that's not real life. That's not real life at all. No, it's, 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 it's very unglamorous up until, you know, you, you end up on the lifestyles of the rich and famous. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, so talking about that, so where are you looking to take this business, let's say, in five years from now? So everything is cloud focused and, and I joke, you know, our best selling product hasn't been invented yet. Um, perfect example is the managed Wi-Fi. It, it, it's another device, but instead of reinventing the wheel, we just incorporated, you know, a good Wi-Fi uh, manufacturer and integrated into our cloud. So you plug their, their Wi-Fi into our behind our box and it just shows up in the cloud and does its thing. It is our best seller. It just came out last July. Every device that we've sold for the last two and a half years supports it. It's all software defined. So there's going to be 30, 40 things that are going to be in the cloud, and you'll just check a box every time you want to add it. And when you don't want it anymore, you uncheck the box and it's gone. There's going to be no going to the store buying a piece of equipment for something. There's going to be no, oh, hey, I just saw this on the news. I need this right now. Every business in my space needs it. It's not going to be, hey, okay, we're going to spend three months engineering it, another three months installing it. It's going to be, hey, you know, hey, partner, go ahead and, and check the box for your client, and it's done. And so everything will be that. We only envision that, you know, each each site's going to have one piece of equipment that that runs everything network related, and there's going to be no more physical. Um, you know, it's it's it, it's just it's evolving to where all the applications have evolved to about five years ago. You know, just something that occurred to me as we were talking, this is really, it's really a new culture that's emerging, which is eliminate waste, uh, right? We're talking right. About waste of time, waste of hardware, waste of resources. It's just all about becoming much more efficient. So we're not wasting on things that don't matter. 
Well, and, and on that note, we 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 you know we deal with companies that for the last twenty years, their whole they've got an entire team dedicated to ripping out hardware and installing new hardware on a three year cycle, and that's all they do one hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Now, if that isn't wasteful, I don't know what is. <laughs> right. Wow. So, Eric, if you could rewind the clock, let's say twelve months, would there be anything differently that you'd do? You know, it's funny. Um, I always think we're early to the space. Uh, if you look at the SD-WAN space or the SD-LAN space or the cybersecurity space in, in our area, we're always early. Even the hosted VoIP, we were early. Um, so I think we were still early to this. I think that market's still maturing. Um, you know, focus is really what it came down to. Uh, up until about a year and a about a year, a little over a year ago, we didn't know who our client was. And now it's very clear. It's multi-location branch, you know. Um, that focus a year ago or a year and a half ago and knowing that's who the buyer was and that's who really needs a product like this, that would have saved us a lot of time of exploring because we've got clients across the spectrum. We've got large enterprise. We've got single location. And we'll take them all, but really knowing your focus um, and knowing how to talk to them and, and what their needs are, the earlier you know that, the better is, of course, you know, would have been great. Now, you know, I'm sure many people uh, can relate to what you're saying about knowing your focus. Was there any specific aha moment that caused you to get it, what your focus is? Um, I think every day. I think every day we have an aha moment. It's like, oh, we, sh we should dial that in a little bit closer. Um, whether that's a feature or whether that's, you know, something about a customer or an experience that they've had or somebody telling us a story. Um, I think every day has an aha moment and that's how, you know, we can quickly move to be better that, you know, again, the big enterprises can't do because when they have an aha moment, it's got to go through legal and accounting and, you know, personnel and all these other things. And, you know, they can bring, bring the aha moment to the surface five years from now and, and, and just being able to do that quickly. And when somebody says, Hey, you know, it'd be great. And we turn that out in 30 days, you know, it's mind blowing for us and for, for the user. It's so true, and it's so much more satisfying as well. It is. In fact, our biggest issue is we don't communicate enough and tell everybody, hey, by the way, we came out with this because a user wanted it, uh, because by the time we play with it and we start talking about it, it's old news for us, and so we're on to the next thing because there's just so much in the pipeline and so much coming out, and we're excited about using it, let alone you know, developing it. That's so cool. Um, now, Eric, this may be a trick question, but... What do you do for fun? Huh. Um, I think, you know, in this space, uh, it, it's, it's a lot of work. It really, it, you know, it's, it's commitment. I, I, was, I joke with people, but I don't think I've actually had a vacation to where I've been able to turn off my cell phone in at least 14 years. Um, even, you know, even at that point, somebody found me. They called the hotel. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's just the life of an entrepreneur and it's, it's taking those small moments between, you know, if I can have lunch with, with somebody and, and take, you know, those 10 minutes out and, and have that moment that I couldn't have done if I had a regular job, that to me is a win. And, and just really cherishing those small moments and those small bits here and there that somebody who's sitting at a desk or in front of a computer at a call center all day long can't do. That is so true and very profound. So Eric, we actually have a couple of questions from the audience. We have time to go through two questions. So, okay. Okay, so the first question is from Mark Richards, a reverse mortgage specialist at Fairway Independent Mortgage in Ridgewood, New Jersey. 
Uh, and he asks, what's the area of IT security that is most often overlooked and therefore underprotected? So it depends on the organization. So that's kind of a trick question too. Um, enterprise, they, they, their procedures and their, their items are very locked down, down to the user experience. I mean, they're very, um, very strict. But as you go down the line, and of course, the risks actually go up as you go down the line. So the mid-market and then small business are the highest risk because these larger enterprises are willing to spend millions of dollars now on their IT security because they realize how important it is. So what gets most over, uh, you know, uh, I guess overlooked is everything related to the SMB space because they don't have a professional that's in there all the time doing all the things that need to be done, which, you know, kind of our earlier conversation is maintenance. Everything's about preventative. If you don't do a good job preventing, it doesn't matter, you know, what happens down the line. It's going to be a disaster. And so, Everything starts at the top, policy and procedure, all the way down. But again, the biggest risk are the smallest businesses. Mm. And it's so true with preventative maintenance. I mean, even you know, with things like your health, um, that's becoming really big now. How uh, you know the healthy lifestyle is is uh, becoming more popular because of that. Well, and I joke with people all the time. I mean, you can have the newest car, and if you don't take care of it. And you've got a car that's 20 years old that's had everything perform perfectly. That 20-year-old car will outperform that new car all day long, um, you know, as it's being run into the ground. And networks, computers, you know, most people with computer problems, they just don't do the, you know, the required maintenance and things like that. And they have more problems than everybody else. So everything is preventative and you can go too far. I mean, the problem is, is how far do you take it? There is a happy medium there. And uh, unfortunately, we are not even close um, as a culture, especially Americans, because you were like, hey, we've been connecting things to the internet for 25 years. Nothing's happened to me yet. <laughs> the problem is, is you don't know. Um, the scary part is, is what's happening. We actually have a website that's called attackmap.org, and it shows in real time all of the people worldwide trying to get into our customer stuff. And uh, you would be shocked. You show that to a CEO or show them their specific map, their mind's blown because they, you know, I think the average is something like 10,000 attempted intrusions per connection a day. But if you don't see it, it's not happening. Wow. So attackmap.org, you said. Yep, that's correct. I've got to check that out. Wow. Yeah, it's like, uh, what is it, the movie from the 80s where it's got all the missile command, the missiles coming in and oh. it, it looks just like that. And the scary thing is, is, you know, back in my dial-up days, we would just block all of Asia Pacific and it was one and done, but everybody's smarter now and they're buying servers on the U.S. from Amazon and DigitalOcean and all these other places and using stolen credit cards to do it and then using those servers to attack U.S.-based servers. So you really have to have a detection grid to know when something's hot and when it's not. Otherwise, you know, you just can't block whole countries anymore. Yeah. And by the way, so going along these lines, uh, you know, with the IoT Internet of Things, your whole home is is uh, going to be wired to the Internet, you know, from your refrigerator to your toaster to your dishwasher. Um, wh where do you think that's going to go? Well, and see, that's scary, too, because people aren't thinking twice about doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, the story I tell all the time is I, I saw a washer with Wi-Fi. Um, the other day, and, and this is probably a year ago now because it's more common now than ever, 
if you have had that washer running in your basement, great. It's convenient to be notified on your phone that it's done. But at that same scenario, somebody could get into it. If you can get into it, they can get into it and flood your basement. And that's now real dollars. You took something that was a convenience feature and now it's turned into real dollars or even um, thermostats. Very convenient. I love them. The, the, the Wi-Fi thermostats, you can control stuff, you know, but at the same time, if somebody else gets in there, again, we're in Arizona, it's 115 degrees out and somebody turns it down to 65 on a weekend or whatever that, that looks like, we get a three or $4,000 power bill. That's real dollars now. Uh, same thing, if they break a particular uh, manufacturer's uh, thermostat and they turn on 500 of them in a certain area, they could overload the power, the power plant. You know, So these are real things that at least people need to think about, well, wait a minute, would I do this in the real world? Would I give somebody the keys to my front door and you know, a line to the washer or something like that. They just need to really ask those questions is convenience versus versus risk uh, before they start just plugging stuff in and make sure that, hey, okay, I'm gonna do this, but at least I've got a network protection set up. Or, you know, I'm gonna do this, but at least I'm gonna keep it off of the network from my regular computers. I mean, we just really need to think of, of how to isolate and separate these things and what the value really is. Just, you know, as much of a cool factor it is. And I don't wanna go on a too much of a tangent, but Everybody talks about Echoes and Siri and things like that, and there's nothing that scares me more than those type of devices right now. And I've been resilient to not buy one, but at the same time, everybody's going to have one soon. You just got to be aware of what that means. Right, and, and it's the reality that this is where the world's going. So unfortunately, we can't just not plug things in, um, but right. but we need to think about uh, security. So would uh, would software-defined networking uh, be a good solution for something like this in the future? Absolutely, and that's that's what we're saying is, is to be able to take something like that and visualize what it's doing and its behaviors and things like that. And even on our dashboard, I can tell you right now, you know, the washer or the Wi-Fi, what it's doing, you know, how much bandwidth it's using, who's connecting to it, what that looks like on a visual page. And we, we just, nobody's going to sit around and analyze logs. It's just not reality. But if you can visualize what's going on and set alerts for thresholds, it, at least, you know, there, there's some triggers there. Gotcha. So you can actually see on your map that someone from Pakistan is logged into your dishwasher. Exactly. And that's the key is, is, you know, and, and you set up just like think of it as an alarm system. Uh, again, if you, you had 10,000 people, uh, uh, you know, a day trying to break in your front door, you'd get an alarm system. Yeah. So if you've got that, you know, same risk, it's a front door, your internet connection, you got to treat it the same way. Great. Yeah, we actually just ran away with that question. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Okay, so our second question is from John Wolf, a CEO of Live Web Studios in Rochelle Park, New Jersey. So John says, as a web designer and development professional, it seems that every month I put more and more resources into malware slash virus prevention and cleanup of attacks on my customers' websites and servers. Even with completely patched WordPress sites, the bad guys still get in. I have good daily backups and 24-7 scan services. Will this ever get better, or is this just the way it is in the world of website hosting and online application? I think this is the new norm. Um, I think there'll be some more automated tools that are coming out, but I love hearing backups. I mean, 
We talked about the ransomware that uh, that just went out last week. That's making headlines everywhere. The best the best uh, you know combative area for that is to have a backup because you know that's really what it comes down to. And a lot of people don't test that stuff. They don't do that stuff. But I think it's the new norm. Hosting has gone a, a long way. Uh, like GoDaddy has auto patching WordPress now. So instead of you actually having to upgrade the WordPress and stuff like that, you get an email saying, "Hey." We upgraded your WordPress and patched XYZ. Um, so being able to use services like that certainly help. But I really think, you know, if you're going to offer those services or have clients on those services, it's going to take some, you know, it's the new norm. You're going to have to pay attention and, and do those kind of things. And it's good to hear that you're doing that because most people aren't. And, uh, you know, you're not the norm by doing all that. Everybody else is throwing up a site and then forgetting about it for six months to a year and then wondering why they have an issue. Um, that's like the 90 percent. And, and that's that's sad. And that's good to hear. You know, John is uh, one of the best web developers I know, and uh, he does a great job. A lot of them, a lot of people out there that are, that are in that space, especially web developers or straight HTML developers, they don't have an expertise to do that. They just, you know, they make a phone call, get it up and forget about it, especially in the, um, you know, SMB space. Uh, these people aren't paying for maintenance. So once it's up, it's up and they want to forget about it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Eric, I know you're a busy guy. We're going to let you go in just a bit. Uh, but just before we do, how do people connect with you? So, you know, we, we want to be one of those companies out there that are, that are connecting with people in a different way. Um, so we're one of the few SD-WAN, it's the only, or even firewall company out there that people can chat with us. They can call us, they can, you know, email us. Um, you know, we understand, especially millennials, they would rather get a root canal than actually pick up the phone and call somebody. So that's why, you know, chat with us, you know, whatever that is, is, you know, we, we, we just want to talk to people and have conversations. And if we're a fit, great. If we're not great too, but, uh, you know, certainly, the one thing that we thrive on is feedback from our community and the community in general of, hey, you know, it'd be nice to see. And without that, we're no different than, you know, the big enterprise conglomerates out there. So we don't really care how they connect with us. We just need them to connect with us. Beautiful. I'll put your connection info in uh, the show notes so people can just pull it up and click on it. Uh, if they're millennials, they'll click on the chat and <laughs> chat right. right. <laughs> Great. Eric, do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience? You know, really when it comes to business or even security is do something. If you can do just a little bit more than the other person, you're that much further ahead. I mean, this is going to be an ongoing arms race and everything else for the time being, but just do that little more, whether it's your own business or again, security, if you, that leg up will, you know, every day will, uh, will go a long way. Great. Eric, thank you so much for sharing your time and wisdom. I really appreciate having you. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate it.